Welcome in to another episode of Behind the Plate, a podcast presented by Baseball America. I'm your host, Kyle Glazer. I've got another great show for you this week. We're pleased to be joined by Mets scouting director, Drew Toussaint. Uh, Drew has a really, really interesting and unique history through baseball. Uh, he starred at Compton Centennial High School here in Los Angeles. He's a 10th round draft pick of his hometown Dodgers out of high school, chose not to sign, went to Cal Poly, transferred to Southern, where he played in two postseasons and was a teammate of National College Player of the Year, Ricky Weeks. Got drafted once again, this time by the Angels, played five years in the minors, reaching double A, and then went and played in Japan for two seasons. So he's had a playing career that took him coast to coast and halfway across the world. Uh, and after that, he had a really, really meteoric rise through scouting. Uh, first and foremost, he was a coach at the Compton Youth Academy, uh, started on with the Mets as a part-time scout in 2012, and progressively worked his way up. Area scout, cross-checker, national hitting supervisor, assistant scouting director, and now scouting director. Uh, Drew's the first scouting director we've had on the show, so uh, very, very excited to have him. And we are pleased now to be joined by Mets scouting director Drew Toussaint from uh, what looks like some some pretty swanky offices there at City Field in New York. Drew, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I don't have my own office. I'm in uh, our VP's office, uh, Tommy Tainus. So <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't got that big time yet. <laughs> I'm sure it's only a matter of time. Drew, as you and I have talked about, you've had a pretty meteoric rise through scouting. You started off as a Mets area scout in Southern California uh, 11 years ago. Worked your way up to a cross checker, uh, then we're a national hitting guy, and eventually moved up to assistant scouting director. And uh, we're promoted to scouting director this year. Uh, just have your first draft. Uh, we'll get into the details of your rise a little bit later. But but I want to ask when you look back on kind of your rise, how surreal has it been? If that's even the right word, because some guys are scouting for 20, 30 years and, and don't get a chance to move up, and you've moved up rather quickly. Yeah, I think a lot of it is luck and being in the right place at the right place at the right time, you know, uh, and then being with good people that trust you and, and being able to, you know, kind of, you know, just have that that path to getting, you know, up up the up the ranks, essentially. So you have to have that path and, and people that believe in you and see your hard work and your passion and your ability to you know, have that growth mindset and, and change as long with the game. And, uh, you know, just the belief that, you know, I can, I can lead a, a department. Yeah. So before we dive into, you know, kind of the details of your career, I want to start back because you had a pretty interesting playing career uh, that took you not just across the country, but across the world, uh, spent some time in Japan. You grew up, uh, you were born in Compton, split a little bit of your childhood between Compton and Long Beach especially in that era, you know, the, the mid to late nineties, early two thousands, there was a ton of talent coming out of that region, that Compton, Lakewood, Long Beach area. Yeah. Uh, just what were some of your experiences like growing up, you know, some of the guys you were playing against, cause a lot of them went on to some pretty good, uh, good long careers. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a fun time to, to be around at that time. Uh, it was kind of like just kickstarting, like where travel ball was like really getting kickstarted where, you know, you start experiencing that. I remember uh, like Perfect Game had just probably got kickstarted a little bit, probably in the early stages of that. So that was my first experience with, you know, traveling around the, the you know, the area and the country to, to play baseball once I got like into about 10th grade or something like that. Uh, but yeah, and then I grew up playing at one of the most famous parks in, in the Compton. I had a ton of big league history. It's called, uh, Jackie Robinson Stadium in Compton at Gonzalez Park. 
a ton of big leaguers came from out of there from, you know, back in the 70s and, you know, 80s and, and whatnot. So I grew up playing in that, in, in that stadium, which, which is awesome. Compton, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, poverty rate was really high, about one in five, one in four. Crime rate was very high. The murder rate was one of the highest in the country, up near 50 at per 100,000. You had to face a lot of challenges and obstacles that a lot of other people never have to deal with growing up. What were your experiences like growing up and, and how did you kind of navigate that to, to go on to a successful career in baseball? Right. Man, we have to do another podcast to tell you about some of the experiences I had. But, uh, but yeah, man, I saw, I've seen a lot, experienced a lot. Uh, the good thing is I had both my parents in, in the household. My dad was pretty strict, strict and, you know, they really um, uh, emphasized education and, and, and respect and hard work. And, you know, they provided for me, my brother, my older brother and my, and my younger sister. And, uh, you know, we all went to college, you know, and graduated and multiple degrees for all of us. And so just having that that strong parenting uh, in, in the household and uh, was huge. Like my mom, she worked in, in the Compton Unified School District for a long time. Uh, and she was, you know, she was I knew that if I if I were to like skip class or something like that, she would know. So <laughs> all her friends were like the attendance attendance clerks and whatnot so yeah that wasn't even a, a, a option for me to, to uh you know end up being on the, one of the bad kids or anything like that my dad he was pretty strict he coached me throughout you know football baseball basketball and stuff like that so i was never really drawn to any of that but definitely have you know experienced it you know just with my eyes and, and whatnot yeah, and obviously, you know, stayed on the straight and narrow, had a, a really, really good career at, at Centennial High School in Compton. And one of the things I, I thought was interesting was, you know, you were 10th round pick out of there. That made you the highest player picked out of there since Lonnie Smith in 1974. A lot of really good players have come out of there in the 70s and the 80s. The baseball well in Compton had, had dried up a little bit in the 90s, 2000s. You know, you look at the number of players drafted, there's a ton, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, it was less. And, and I think to a lot of kids from that area. They'll go to Lakewood High School. They'll go to some other high schools out of the area. What made you want to stay, you know, in, in Compton, go to high school in Compton? And, and ultimately, again, you became the highest drafted player out of there in, in more than 25 years. Yeah, my, um, like I said, my mom, she worked in Compton Unified School District and we lived uh, around the corner from Centennial High School. So uh, it was just one of those things where it just made sense to, my parents wasn't going to let me go to school anywhere else. <laughs> it was just easier on them. Just like, Hey, you're going to school at Centennial and you know, you better get your grades and focus. So, you know, I was salutatorian, uh, at my high school. So I got, you know, great grades. And then, you know, I enjoyed playing on the baseball team. I had a, a really good baseball coach named uh, Gerald Pickens, who kind of, he coached a bunch of guys like Eric Davis and, you know, a bunch of other, you know, guys that went on to be big leaguers uh, in, in that era. And so I had a real good support system and, you know, uh, it was just, it was just easy for us to, for me to just stay, stay there and go to school in Centennial. Absolutely. Had a great career there. Like I said, you were a 10th round draft pick of the Dodgers out of high school. You ultimately didn't sign. You went on to college. 
how much consideration did you give to signing out of high school, especially when it was your hometown team, the Dodgers, who picked you? Right. I, man, it went down to the last day. <laughs> you know, we uh, negotiated. They brought me to Dodger Stadium and it was trying to it was wanted to convince me to to, to sign. And, and I just decided that it was best for me to go to uh, Cal Poly slow, which my brother actually had was was there as well. He would play. He was playing football at Cal Poly slow. So that made it an easy decision. It was like, man, we can be roommates and <laughs> like like the old days. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man. So it, it was just an easy decision to go to Cal Poly Slow, um, you know, and and play baseball there. Yeah, absolutely. You started your college career there, spent two seasons, didn't get a ton of playing time. After your sophomore year, you decided to transfer to Southern University. What led to that decision, and, and ultimately why Southern? Yeah, so Southern was uh, recruiting me out of high school. Uh, I went down there. My parents are actually from Louisiana, Lake Charles, Louisiana. So I was familiar with Louisiana, but at that time, I didn't want to go and play baseball there. Uh, Like I said, my brother's at Cal Poly. just just easier. My parents would come and see me play. Uh, But things didn't work out at Cal Poly as far as playing time and development. So I decided to transfer to Southern. And that's where I took off. Uh, it was just more of a, I think the environment was more of a professional style player development where you just take, it was just, you go out there and your talents just get flourish, right? And we're, I was around like a bunch of super athletic players and, you know, it, Ricky Weeks and some other guys that got drafted really high. We had a ton of guys that got drafted in my two years there. And it was just, you know, just athletic, you know, you know, melting pot there. Yeah, I was going to ask, you arrived there that first year, and, and you're playing on the same infield as Ricky Weeks. What was that like playing with Ricky, and, and just what was it like watching, seeing him play every day? Man, it was <laughs> – some of the things he did was just unbelievable. He, you know, easily probably my, you know, my best teammate, you know, I've ever played with. So, yeah, he was – he could do it all. Uh and number one, he's just a great, a great person. Yeah, absolutely. You know, right away you get to Southern junior year, uh, then take off, hit 388 that year. Uh, you know, homers, you know, drove in runs, uh, helped lead the team to a SWAC title. Got to go play in the College World Series uh, that very first year there. What was that experience like, you know, getting to play in the College World Series, especially after everything you'd been through, you know, going out, hitting as well as you did right away? And then you know winning a conference title and, and getting to play in the postseason. Yeah, yeah, we went and uh, it was pretty cool because we uh, we got a, a three seed and uh, when we're you know usually like the team that wins the swag gets like the four seed or whatnot. So we got three seed, went out and we were at the Southern Miss regional and we upset Southern Miss in the first game. Uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, another one of my teammates who was a big leader, DeWan Day, he was the starting pitcher for that. And, uh, you know, we shut him out, played well. And then the next day, the next couple of days, the pit, uh, lack of pitching kind of caught up with us. But, you know, we, were, we had a good team. We had a good run and got a regional win, which is pretty cool. Uh, only regional win Southern had for a while. So, <laughs> yeah, really good yeah. team. Yeah, absolutely. You finish out your career. Senior year had a huge, huge year. Hit 392, 15 homers, 56 RBIs, and OPS up over 1,200. I mean, just had a, a fantastic senior year. And after that, you were drafted in the 13th round by the Angels, kind of your other uh, local team growing up. I mean, 
that that year for you, I mean, just how special of a year was that, especially, you know, growing up, you know, turned down the Dodgers out of high school, not getting playing time immediately at Cal Poly for you to go out and have the type of year you did and then get drafted again. I mean, how meaningful was that to you? Yeah, it was huge. It was it was one of those things where, you know, a lot of people were telling me, man, you're making a big mistake, not signing. And, you know, I heard a lot of that, you know, and then with the transfer, not really playing that much at Cal Poly, you know, you start you start having those doubts. But I always thought like, man, I, I know I can hit, <laughs> you know, I know I had I know I had a ton of power. Uh, I was a good athlete, uh, had arm strength. So I had tools, definitely, you know, so. I just needed to put to to play every day and be able to put it all together, and I was able to do that. Southern, and, and that year was just huge. I went out and had 15 home runs, drove in a lot of runs at Southern, and then went out short season and hit 12 more home runs and drove in a, a ton of runs that year. So it was a huge year, like all around, big offensive you know year for me. Yeah, absolutely. So you get into Pro Bowl, like you said, you had a huge year at Provo there after you were drafted, uh, made your way up. You've, you worked your way up to double A, but you know there, there were a few stumbling blocks at times. Um, you, you continued to hit for power. The average went up and down a little bit. You had to repeat high A. You were three years in a row. Eventually didn't make it up to double A. What were some of the, the things that you learned during that time about yourself as a ball player and also just about you know, that step up in competition because pro ball is a whole different animal. Yeah. You know what I learned and, and something that, you know, I take in with, with scouting now and, and I try to tell as many, you know, young players I come across uh, and I kind of use it in my scouting uh, as well is I, I think I learned it too late and I didn't compete enough. I was all, I was like, I was a huge tinkerer, right? I was always looking for like the magic, pixie dust of, of a swing, you know, like, oh, man, it's something I'm missing, you know, like, I know I'm missing something. And you know what, I would, the part I was missing was I didn't go compete enough. I was in the box a lot of times thinking about my swing too much, and I had everything I needed, you know, I had the bat speed, had the good hands, uh, and just, you know, I just didn't compete well enough until the, my last, my last probably two or three months of my career that last when I, after I got sent down from double A back to high A and I took off and I had a really good run for about a two and a half month run. And uh, that was what the time I was like, you know what, I'm just go out there and, and compete against the pitcher and I, and I took off, but it was a little too late, but it was a good time. Yeah. And you spent, you know, five seasons in the angels organization, again, getting up to double A. Uh, after that, you went to Japan for a little bit. I uh, spent two seasons playing for a SoftBank's minor league team in, in the Japanese uh, Western League. How did that yeah. come about? That that opportunity to go play in Japan. Well, in the off seasons, when I, I will work at uh, the Youth Academy in Compton, so that first Youth Academy. Yep. And so through my connections there, as a scout named Doug Takaragawa, who was working at the academy, he was an older, he was an old scout back in the day, and then he was working at the academy as you know, one of the uh, lead, uh, lead guys, right? And so he had a connection in Japan as, with SoftBank. So one guy, one of the guys came out, he saw me uh, take BP and throw and stuff. And he was like, all right, well, you'll give him a shot. We'll sign him. So I was like, all right, I'm in. I went out there and uh, part my when I first got out there, uh, took off and was, was really banging the ball around, had a really good – you know, first season. The, the biggest thing was is so many players because 
it's only one minor league team. So you have to share a ton of time. So I was there probably like three or four months and only got a hundred at bats, which was a little, it was just a little different, but uh, it was all around just both of the parts of two years were, you know, a great experience. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, what are some of the most memorable uh, experiences you had just, just living in Japan and, and being out there, you know, beyond baseball? I mean, what was that experience like, you know, going over there and, and being there for as long as you were? Right. Well, well, my experience was, a to- was totally different from a lot of the American players that go out there. So I played strictly on the minor league side. I lived in the minor league dorms. And I was the only one there who speak English. My translator was only there with me at the field. And so when I go back to the to the, uh, the to the dorm with the players, you know, I'm trying to figure out what they're saying. They're trying to figure out what I'm saying. You know, I'm looking at this food, some of this food. I'm like, oh man. So I have to try a bunch of new food. Uh, man, it, it was a good experience though, all around. Uh, you know, I always I always joke about it. Think about like a kid who goes from Compton the Cal Poly slow, the Southern University, Japan. It's just like, man, it, baseball taking me to some some great places. I have to ask, what's the most exotic thing you ate, either intentionally or accidentally, not knowing what you were ordering? Uh, raw beef. Definitely. Raw beef. Did you know that was what you'd ordered? Yeah, well, I didn't order it. I went out to eat with someone, and, and that was the that city's, like, meal i guess or something like that it was like beef guts or something like that it was like raw raw beef and beef guts or something and so i was like all right i'm here and yeah it wasn't very good but (laughs) i tried it i tried (laughs) they can't say i didn't try (laughs) yeah no absolutely you mentioned you know those communication barriers you're right a lot of times we think about the guys who got some big league time go over to japan they're furnished with a beautiful apartment they're given a full-time translator they're they're getting you know good contracts and making real money. You know, if you're on the minor league side, kind of being there on your own, not speaking the language, I mean, how difficult was that? How homesick did you get? And how did you kind of navigate all that? Man, I, it was it was pretty difficult because I was married and my wife wasn't with me. And we had uh, my son, my oldest son was probably five at the time. And then my wife was pregnant too with my, uh, my 12-year-old, who's 12-year-old now. Uh, 12 year old now uh, so our middle child and you know it was some difficult times man uh you know being out there and most of the time i spent time like in my in my little dorm room that was tiny uh played played a ton of madden played a <laughs> bunch of seasons of that uh watched every movie watched watched the sopranos about three or four times uh yeah man so it was it was uh it was tough but I wouldn't trade that experience for anything, man. I was able to go out, explore uh, Fukuoka, uh, learn how to travel around on my own. Uh, yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Yeah, you mentioned you, know, you have a wife, a young child at home. Your wife's pregnant with number two. Were there times where you're just sitting there in your apartment? You mentioned you know fighting for playing time, thinking you know what what am I doing? I want to just go home. And how did you kind of push through those moments? Yeah, I mean, you you have a you have a couple. It was ups and downs, man. Where, you know, you go, I'll go out and maybe have a four four day, hit a couple home runs, and I'm like, okay, I got a shot, you know. And then those other days, we had those zero for four games. You're like, what am I doing, right? <laughs> you know, what am I doing? Why am I here? You know, but 
you know, you go back, go back to the room and you, you use your, you know, remember, you know, what got you there and why are you there? And, you know, talking to my wife, my dad, and, and they, them pumping me up like, dude, this is what you always want to do. So we, we, we have your back. So, yeah, I mean, that first year you, you were productive and, and limited playing time. Um, went back a second year and, and only got into 10 games. The numbers kind of fell off a little bit. Um, what kind of happened there? And, and was that the moment we just realized, hey, I'm, I'm ready to move past, you know, my playing career and on to something else? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I went back and, and I had an injury. So I was throwing and every time I get to extension on my, on my release, I'll have like, it was like a shocking pain in my elbow. Jeez, I wonder what's going on, right? And so we were trying to rehab it, rehab it. And they um, eventually we saw I had a bone spur. Uh, they gave me a cortisone shot and waited a few days. And it still was kind of giving me uh, some pain. And next thing you know, about two weeks later, I wake up, go out and play a little catch. And I'm like, wow, okay, I didn't feel anything right there. I start throwing a little bit more and more and more. I'm like, oh, wow. It just went away, like, randomly one day. And uh, it's like, okay, cool. And so the first uh, trip, I didn't go on the first trip. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And uh, they come back. I finally play, play one game, and then I sit for three, and then don't go on the trip. And then, you know, so it was like the, the, the writing was kind of on the wall where – Maybe they they were uh, not – I was not in the plans going forward. And, you know, I just asked them, hey, what do you guys think? Do I have a shot to play in the big league team? Because I did well last year. Uh, what do you think? And uh, they called me in. I was like, yeah, you're probably not – we're not going to move forward with you. I'm like, all right, cool, man. Like, I'll go home then. That was kind of the end of it. Uh, went home and started working back at the Youth Academy in Compton and – uh, then my, then my, uh, I guess kind of my coaching slash scouting slash, you know, in, in, in instruction, uh, a career started. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're going back and working at the urban youth Academy, obviously it, it helped you stay in the game, but you also uh, took a job outside of the game just to help pay the bills and supplement that. Tell us about that job and, and what kind of led you down that path. Yeah, so I went. I went back, and uh, my wife enrolled me at uh, Dominguez Hills, and she was like, "All right, it's time for you to get your degree, finish off, finish your school." So I was going to Dominguez Hills, working at the Youth Academy, and then I was working uh, at uh, for the government with the use tax and sales tax. So like, you know, basically an accountant. So I was going to school to be an accountant, right? And so I was doing that. And then um, I guess we'll lead into, you know, I start scouting part time as well. And um, and so I was working like three different jobs and kind of finishing school at the same time. I, I was busy. I was busy for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned you started moving into scouting. When did that transition happen? When did you first get your, your first part time scouting job and how did it come about? Yeah. So. At the time in 2011, Chad McDonald, who's now a pro scout with us, he was a scouting director here with the Mets. And he had always he assigned me uh, with the Angels. And he had always kept, he always check in on me, checking, hey, you know, how's it going? Uh, 
And one day he calls like, hey, do you want to scout? Like, yeah. But he goes, well, the job is in Tennessee. Like, well, I'm not moving to Tennessee. My wife is not going for that. And so he's like, all right, cool, man. You know, I just have to call you and offer it to you. I was like, all right. And so fast forward, he goes in uh, to the Padres and become the, I think, the vice president of scouting with the Padres. And then uh, our current VP here, Tommy Tanis, uh, I guess, got my information from Chad and he called me out of nowhere and uh, asked if I was interested in scouting. I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, I'll be down there in a month uh, for an event and uh, we can meet up and, you know, and I'll interview. Like, all right, cool. I had had a couple interviews with a couple teams before that and just didn't get the job. Uh, so I was kind of prepared for it to interview for a scouting job and that, you know, I think it came natural to me as well. And so um, I go, Tommy comes in town, picks me up. We go to uh, we go out to eat, him and a couple other guys, and they interviewed me. And I remember driving back, uh, we stopped. He just looked over and gave me a thumbs up. I'm like, okay, cool, man. I think I might have this. So I go home. I tell my wife, I'm like, yeah, I think they're going to hire me. He just gave me a thumbs up. You know, I think it's all good. And, you know, he called me a week or two later and was like, hey, we're going to hire you as part-time scout in, in the Los Angeles area. It's like, cool. And so I started helping out uh, uh, John Hurman, who's, uh, who's the national cross-checker now with the Indians. He was an area scout uh, with, the, with the Mets at the time. So I was helping him out, going to see games. I was just going to UCLA and USC on, you know, for every weekend. And so I was right typing up reports and sending them in. And so they were reading my reports. They were like, man, these are pretty good reports. <laughs> like, have you ever done this before? And I'm like, nah, man, these were like my first reports. And so they're like, all right. So they start giving me more games to go to, more games to go to. I was going to see some pretty good players like Tyrone Taylor. Um, and so that that was probably like one of the high first high-end players, or high school players that I was like really sitting on and, and watching. So I saw him and I would go see him a lot and uh, kind of help out with, with John a lot. And then uh, towards the end of the so draft comes by, uh, they, they bring me in for a West Coast draft meeting. So I, have, I was able to get that experience. So then the summer comes around. I was doing a couple summer events, you know, in the area. Fall rolls around and, uh, you know, getting – to that time of like, I'm like, all right, I think I'm gonna have to. I just graduated, finished, and got my degree. Like, all right, it's time for me to get a real job now. And so I was gonna actually uh, take an accounting job uh, with the, you know, with the state of California. And uh, out of nowhere, Tommy called me and you know, gave me a heads up like, hey, we're gonna offer you a job here in, in Southern California because John is gonna take a job in the Four Corners with with the, the Indian like oh wow okay cool and so it just kind of just happened and just slid into you know it just happened like organically like that like like I told you before it was just a lot of this was just right place right time luck you know because it's, it's it's a ton of guys who you know they're part-time scouts I know guys who've been part-time scouts for you know a decade you know and just fighting to get a job and they finally get it I just happen to be with the right organization who believed in me and uh yeah 
kind of slid in. Absolutely. You mentioned it came to you pretty naturally, you know, writing reports, identifying talent, because by this point, you built up a pretty big database in your head. You know, you'd see what it looked like in high school. You'd see what it looked like in college. You'd see what it looked like up to double A. You see what it looked like in you know Japan. You had a really good Rolodex of players you could pull from and it just clicked for you. At the same time, there are always things you learn on a job that you can't fully appreciate from the outside looking in. What were some of the biggest lessons you learned that that first year as a part-time scout, especially because I know a lot of times that can feel like a, a whirlwind for guys, but a lot of times they look back and it's, it's really the foundation of their careers in a lot of ways. Right. I think one of the biggest things was separating uh, you as a player from you as a scout. Cause a lot of times you go out and like, man, I didn't make it. So I know that dude can't make it, <laughs> you know, like we don't have the same tools. So being able to separate that, you know, like taking out knowing that, Hey, the game has changed. You know, that was, I was 10 years ago removed and even now it's changed a lot. So being able to know how much the game has changed and separating, you know, what you did as a player from what you're looking at now as a scout. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you get that job very first year as an area scout. Uh, you take the job in fall 2012. You go through the cycle of you know, fall, winter into the spring. And right away, you've got a really, really, really good player right in your backyard, Dominic Smith at Sarah High School. Uh, I remember seeing him. I was working for another newspaper out here in SoCal at the time. I saw him as a sophomore in 2011 and was like, yeah, he's going to be a first rounder in two years. He, he was one of those, you know, great players. Couldn't miss him if you tried. Um what was that experience like for you, you know, right off the bat, having a guy that that, you know, you have a chance to put your name on and eventually Mets did draft him that year. And, and you got you were the signing scout for a first rounder, your very first year as a scout. A lot of scouts don't get a first rounder sometimes their entire careers. Right. And, and to add an extra layer to that, I knew Dominic from working at the Youth Academy. So I knew Dominic since he was like 11, 12 years old at the Youth Academy. So I'd seen him like grow up as a hitter and grow up as a baseball player. So I knew him, his family, all his friends, all the kids he played with, you know, like I knew him front and back, you know, had a relationship with him. But that year, first year scouting, you have uh, Dominic Smith, you have J.P. Crawford, and you have Phil Bickford all in your area. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be this is scouting right here. This is great. I got three first rounders in my area, like guys that went, you know, they all went what, the top 15 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that first year, you, you know, you can't, it was just easy. And then scouting Dom was, was, was super fun because you're looking at a high school kid that just had such a great swing, good play discipline. You know, he had tools he can throw. Uh, plus defender, uh, yeah, man, he it was it was fun watching him watching him play, and then you're sitting there nervous on draft night and watching how it all unfolds, and you're like, oh man, and they, they roll out the board, and and he's like, and and you know that it lines up to where he can be ours. I'm like, oh man, this is this is lining up, and then to have his name called and me knowing him, knowing the family, and it was just a good moment. Yeah, did you get to be the one to call to tell him you guys have drafted him? I called after, so they, you know, everybody they handled it, and then after we took him, I was able to call him, and you know, we both were excited on the phone. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's always exciting when 
you get to draft one of your guys. And that's true even if, hey, you just met for the first time that fall, got to know him, got to know his family, and then, you know, your team ends up making the pick. But having that history with him and, and knowing the type of person he was um, off the field as well, obviously Dom's a, a great A human being. That's been apparent since I first met him, I think, when he was a sophomore at Sarah High School. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, just just how rewarding was that for you? And also if that being your first year as a scout, I'd have to imagine it's sort of that, that moment of like, okay, like this is amazing. I love this. And this is exactly what I want to do. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was great. Like I said, you, you think that first year is going to be this, the same every year, right? Like you get a first rounder. I'm like, Oh man, this is easy. You know? And then I end up getting five total players and I'm sure you'll get to the, the I won't, you know, steal your thunder, get to the next one. But, uh, yeah, man, it, it was the experience because you, you put in all that hard work, the hard work, and you're you're still doing a ton of learning in that first year, and seeing a lot of players, and you know your head spinning, and you know Southern California, so you get to see sometimes early in the year you're seeing three, four games a day because you got those, you know, a chance to do those double up and triple ups in SoCal, and you know all about that, and you're yep. seeing so many players and seeing them so often, so you're going through and, and you, you get to see uh, the good and the bad in the players, right? Cause you get to see them so often, not like other areas. You see them that one time and you might get back, you know, one other time, but uh, yeah, man. And it's just getting to know, being able to get to know all the players and uh, go through the full process of the things that we do as evaluators to, to, uh, you know, get our evaluations correct. Uh, it was a great experience. So you mentioned that you got five players drafted that very first draft of your Dom being the big one. Further down the board, you got someone very, very different kind of pedigree. Uh, the 12th round, Jeff McNeil out of Long Beach State that year. At the time, he was not considered by any means a huge draft guy. And Long Beach State has had a really good history of developing pro players, infielders especially. Great program. Um, but McNeil was was not a guy by any stretch who was considered a top dude. Got him in the 12th round. What did you see about Jeff McNeil that you liked at Long Beach State and, and ultimately led the Mets to draft him? So I, so my first uh, uh, fall, I get hired in about October. So I'm you know running around like, okay, let me get to all these games. So I go see Long Beach State. So at the time, uh, Long Beach State was a huge – Blunt, get them over type, you know, they're small ball, right? Yep. And they would they would have these practices where guys would just bunt the whole practice. You wouldn't <laughs> see guys swing. So I go there and what the one of my first days there, they're having the, one of these bunt practices. And no one takes a swing, but so Jeff Jeff is he bunts and I'm getting these like 60, 65, 70 run times on them, right? And bunts. Okay, he can run, and then I'm seeing him play a little defense, and he, you know, he had a little, he was high, he had a little height on him, but he was he was thin, real thin and slender, and so that was my first impression. You know, you got left-handed bat, he can run a little bit, right? He can, he can do all those small things. So fast forward a little bit, getting to the spring, you know, going to see him more and more often. Uh, you start to see, okay, we got a high contact guy from the left side, he's a plush runner. He was playing second. He would play short. He would play center, uh, plus defender. Like, all those things added up. And, and, you know, once you start, like, trusting your process, 
like this doesn't seem like this is a hard one right here. You know, you got plus plus runner, plus athlete who can play in the middle of the field. He can defend, uh, makes a con- ton of contact, left hand bat. Okay, let's go. I like him. You know, and so that that to me that was that was one of those ones where you're like, man, I hope I can get him. You know, absolutely. And then, and then also not knowing the draft process. You don't know where that guy falls. You know, you don't know. I don't know where at the time. I'm like, I don't know where this fits in the draft, but, you know, I do like them. Yeah. I mean, also, your, your very first draft as a full-time scout, you got two players, two future big leaders drafted, both of whom have gone to, to very, very successful careers. You continued scouting as an area guy for the next few years. Then you got promoted to cross-checker uh, pretty early on, uh, four years into your scouting career. How did that promotion come about and, and getting it so young and early in your career? Um, just what was kind of your, your overall reactions to it? Yeah, it was uh, one of those things where um, I was working hard, you know, putting in a lot of follows. We go to summer, summer events, um, just putting in 100 plus follows per year on all players around the whole country. Um, you know, and, and like I said before, it's luck you know hey the path the path is kind of like laid in for me but somebody else gets promoted like if my west coast cross checker doesn't doesn't get promoted to you know national cross checker maybe i don't get promoted you know uh as so right so uh you know all of it has to line up but you also have to be prepared and 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 have that trust that hey i can that he can do the job and i thought i think the mets knew that i can do the job yeah, absolutely. What was the biggest adjustment you had to make going from being an area guy to a cross checker, especially, you know, on the West Coast where there's so much talent and you, you got a lot of ground to cover? Yeah, definitely. It's trying to make sure that you see all the right players uh, get as deep as, on, on, as you can on all your the area scouts list. And then, you know, sometimes seeing some of the guys that that may go later in the draft that they love, you know, and just that those extra looks on players like that. Um, and then, you know, the travel schedule, the, you know, making sure, you know, now I have a house, a house full of kids and, you know, with uh, yeah, and the wife. And so you, you're, you're moving around your time management, your ability to, you know, go see, all these players will also be at home too when you need to and, you know, make sure that's good. So it's the, it's the balancing act because the evaluation part is not different, right? We're also going to see players and we're putting our evaluations on them. Maybe I'm now I'm comparing, you know, five areas uh, instead of one. So I'm lining the five areas compared to one. But the evaluation process is, is pretty much the same. And then, you know, knowing that you have to have a process and trust your process because you might only get one look on a player. So being able to trust my one look and knowing that, hey, I did the work, uh, you know, in the summer as well and in the fall. So now I'm coming in to just, you know, check a couple boxes to make sure that, you know, nothing's changed on, on this player. Yeah, you continue to do that for four years, overseeing uh, some being a part of some really good drafts. The Mets had some some really really excellent drafts in this era, especially. Then you got promoted again. You mentioned you know as a player, 
you could hit. You hit for average, you hit for power. That was your, your go-to thing. And you got promoted to national hitting supervisor. What was that transition like? Cause you know, you're going before from, you know, area scout function, cross checker function, but now you're focusing specifically on, on one aspect and you're doing it nationally. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, going, going and lining up, you know, the, the hitters in, across the country, you know, having the Mets going through the Mets checklist and then also adding in my, my personal checklist of, you know, what type of hitters that, that we like as an organization that I like personally and putting that all together. Right. And then lining those guys up and, uh, making sure, you know, I'm, I'm suggesting and, and, you know, giving recommendations on some, some guys that I think that can go out and perform. Yeah. Did at any point you struggle with, with the transition? Because again, there's something you, you know, you know, you've done, and especially being further and further away from home, and even as a cross checker, you're still mostly staying in the Western U S you know, two hour flights here, Colorado, Seattle, as a national guy, now you're going six hours across the country. The trips are longer. How did you kind of manage that? Right. We, we have a joke. I'm, uh, one, I'm a, the butt of one joke is, uh, is, uh, they say Drew, uh, Drew, uh, rolled into, uh, he adjusted to national cross checking real fast. So <laughs> as far as like, you know, hotels and flights and stuff like that. So this is a little joke that, that they like to say, uh, I like to stay at the nice hotels and fly Delta. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, the time management is a little bit different and um, being able to now you're, you're trying to see 17 area scouts, you know, top hitters, you know, and making sure that you get as deep as possible on those lists. You're reading way more reports than you have before. Uh, trying to see more players than you ever have before, and you're linking out your list, and, and now you're really your process is really tested because you really might only get one look, and that look might not be the best look, right? So, with synergy, with you know as much video as we take, you have to kind of piece it all together, right? So you have your process, piecing together some video, piecing together some of the summer events and stuff like that to really get you know, a full evaluation in on a player. And then you trust in the area scout, right? And talking to them and seeing, you know, what did they see and, and trusting the other cross checkers, the regional guys, what did they see and try to piece it all together, make sure you get a uh, full and, and good evaluation on the player. You talk about the process and all the different inputs that go into that. How do you weight each input, and then how do you figure out how much weight to give each input? Because that that's could be a tricky sometimes, uh, even more so than just figuring out what those inputs even are. Yeah, I mean, from a when you're looking at like an individual algorithm, like yourself, right? <laughs> like you have some things that you you go in and you that's you know that's trusted that you've trusted over the years. You know that hey, these things work out for players. You know, look at enough video look at enough players and compare players and, and you stand on some, some principles that, Hey, these certain aspects of hitting or fielding or pitching, these things work over time for, for, for players. And, you know, you trust your process and you don't, you don't deviate from your process uh, and you stick to it. Sometimes you're going to, and you, we know this game, Hey, we, we're going to get a lot of players wrong. We're going to get enough any players right too. So stick to your process and be, be uh, true to your process that 
hey, if I get a player wrong, hey, stick to it. You learn from that that experience, but and you just get your process a little bit tighter. Yep. How would you say your process has evolved over the years? Maybe what's something you didn't think was important then, but you do now, or, or vice versa, something you used to think was important that you look for that maybe you, you de-emphasized over time. How has that process evolved and changed? Oh, let me think about that. Um, I would say, you know, my, pro my process has definitely gotten, you know, a lot, you know, tighter as far as, you know, what I look for and, and as far as players, you know. Try, try to stick to the athletes who have, you know, you know, uh, good movements in the box. That's very athletic in the box. Uh, guys that can get on time and, you know, put put the ball in play, have good play discipline, stuff like that. So, you know, start with those two things and then uh, and then deviate a little bit off off the rest, you know. Yeah, it's kind of a good starting point to filter from good athletes with good plate discipline. That's that's a pretty good foundation, and work your way down from there. Yep, one hundred percent. That's what that's what should, that's what I'm gonna try to start with with that, and then we we'll go get to the mechanics after that. Absolutely. So you've had this rise. You're going, you know, area scout, cross regional cross checker, national hitting supervisor. You get promoted to assistant scouting director. What's interesting about this one is there's an international component as well. How much international scouting did you get to do in that role and where did you go and how did that sort of inform your process? Yeah, so last year, uh, the international piece was broken up between like before the spring started and then after the spring. So international before, then you get into the spring scouting season on the domestic side and then after that, you run back into the international piece. Um, that eye-opening, man. It's, it's the purest form of scouting out there, right? Uh, you don't get to see a, a lot of the, the data, and you know, video might be a little bit limited as well. And the competition is totally different. You're scouting more workout based instead of game based stuff, and so you're really going off of tools, and that's and then you're leaning on now. Hey, how does he do it? Instead of where you're looking for. Okay, does this guy make enough contact? Does he have play discipline and stuff like that? You might not be able to answer those questions in, you know, a three to five day, you know, workout period. But hey, does he move well in the box? Uh, does the swing path work? Uh, is he athletic? Uh, you know, you're trying to add up those pieces of the uh, of the of the player. Um, and then you know, from the def a defensive perspective, you know, how is he moving in the dirt? Uh, you know, does the hands work? What about the arm? And th these are younger players. So uh, I think the thing that helped me uh, transition well into that was my time at the youth academy. And seeing, I was working with kids that were like five, six years old up until teenagers. So I was able to see what Hunter Green looks like at six years old, right? And see like, oh, man, this kid's a big leader. You know, like at six years old, I was able to see that. Well, Hunter Green, uh, seeing Dom Dom Smith at 11, 12 years old, right? And then he ends up in the, as a big leaguer. Seeing J.D. Crawford at 12, 13, he ends up as a big leaguer. So I had a Rolodex of, of players from just my time at the Youth Academy, seeing those younger players and what they look like from a domestic standpoint. And then now, you know, fast forward a few years from doing it on the international side, kind of matching that up on that side and, 
it, you know, it, it matches for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. In terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, that, that experience now you've built like this Rolodex domestic international earlier this year, January, 2023, you get promoted to the Mets director of amateur scouting. What was that moment like for you? You know, when they called you and said, Hey, we're, we're going to make this move. You accept the job and here you are as a scouting director for not just any team, but, but, you know, one of the biggest, most prominent teams in major league baseball. Yeah, it was, it was one of those things that it's almost surreal, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's only 30 people that have this job in the world. And uh, I don't take it for granted, you know, but really excited for the, for the challenge. And then, you know, uh, grateful that the Mets looked at me and they've, I've been here for, I've been here for 10 years and they saw, you know, the work I put in knowing they knew me personally and know that uh, I'm a representative organization well. And then that I can continue what we've been building upon as, you know, having some pretty good drafts over the years and, you know, you know, have an impact in, in, with our uh, drafts and, uh, and then being a part of the national piece for a little bit and our impact on the international side. So, you know, uh, just grateful for the organization and then knowing that I do, you know, I feel like I deserved it as far as, you know, the work I put in, and just preparing myself for this moment uh, to get the job. Absolutely. What's something about being a scouting director or running a draft that maybe you didn't fully get to appreciate from the outside, but now that you're in the role, you uh, you definitely appreciate? Man, reading every report, <laughs> uh, talking to every scout about every player that they turn in and you know, uh, looking at all the information that that's gathered, uh, being in on more zooms and, you know, just, you know, the uh, more meetings of, and so much information now that's, that's collected and, 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 you know, taken in from, you know, the track man, the synergy, you know, uh, some teams have kid tracks now on the college side and it's just so much information. And then, being able to ingest all that information and you know you're going through a draft is and then trusting your scouts right because you can't see every player so you know you get down to the you know fourth round you're taking guys that you haven't seen right so you know just you know like okay i haven't seen this guy but i you know i trust you know our area scouts and we built out a you know good process uh that you can trust that, that everybody's uh, a good evaluator. We're yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, one piece of this, you mentioned you have that accounting background, you have kind of that quantitative background. How has that helped you as the game has gone more to, you know, quantitative data and metrics and whatnot, and you know, really helped you make that transition? Cause some scouts, especially ex players can struggle with that. Yeah, man, it was huge. I'm, I'm big. I was, you know, I always had a growth mindset, so this was an easy transition to, you know, get into the numbers. Like you said, I have accounting background, and then I did a, I studied a little bit from on analytics uh, perspective, have a uh, certificate in data science, and uh, you know, kind of learn how, you know, why models are important and how they're built, and you know, just the intricacies of that. 
and then how to take in all the information and how it's uh, all weighted and, and looked at uh, and how it helps us with our decision-making process, right? Uh, yeah, so, you know, my, my educational background w was a big part of, of uh, me learn being able to learn really quick on, you know, what, what all this uh, advanced analytics means. Absolutely. So I do have to ask, running a draft for the first time, what what was that experience like? You talked about, you know, the lead up to it, all the information, how to trust your scouts, but but physically being in the room, being the guy who, you know, a lot of cases is making the final call on those picks. Was it nerve wracking? Did you feel the pressure? I mean, what what is that? What is that like? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, for our organization, it's really a group effort on, on, on the picks. Um, you know, it's it's more of a system pick than uh, an individual pick. Um, so it's obviously it's no matter what, it's still a little it's still a little nerve wracking because you don't know, you know, who's going to be there, especially picking thirty two last year, picking a, a lot higher. Uh, you have an idea of kind of like who the players will be, you know, uh, in that range. But picking thirty two, you have a long way to go before you pick. And then uh, you just don't know who, you know, will be there for you. But, um, yeah, it's all, all around good experience this first year. And looking forward to uh, a full 12 months of getting ready for next year. Absolutely. Well, Drew, you've had a wealth of experiences in the game. Uh, we really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us today and uh, sharing your insights as well. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, you guys have me on, and, and uh, it was a good, real good uh, experience and talk with you. Once again, that was Met Scouting Director Drew Toussaint. Uh, again, just really cool wealth experience there. I mean, you talk about at every level, you know, high school, college, professional, going abroad, playing in Japan, all the challenges involved with that. Uh, and then his rise through scouting. You know, he talked a lot about, you know, timing is everything in a lot of ways. Uh, he worked hard. He put himself in good positions. Uh, have the knowledge base, you know, both, you know, so we talk about his quantitative experience, having that accounting background certainly helped. Uh, but first and foremost, again, he, he picked up the phone when the call came and said yes and moved his way up the ranks. And now he's one of uh, the 30 men who are scouting directors in Major League Baseball, a, a rare job and one a lot of people hope to get. Uh, and he's one of the few who have achieved it. Uh, it's a testament to his work ethic, his rise and uh, his ability to scout. Once again, this has been another edition of Behind the Plate, a podcast presented by Baseball America. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'm going on vacation here, so we will be off for the next uh, two weeks, uh, but we will be back after that. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Have a good one, everybody.